What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got S.C. Moati. Um, whether you've worked at a company for a year, two years, or 10 or 15 years, doesn't matter. It doesn't define you. And you want to kind of own up to that. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Essie, thanks for making time. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So you've got uh, you've got a pretty interesting background. Um, we're, we're definitely going to be talking about your best-selling book, uh, mobilized, um, but your your title here on LinkedIn says tech visionary, venture capitalist, best-selling author, former Facebook executive, Stanford B School lecturer. I'm interested how you introduce yourself when you meet people, like at a cocktail party or a, or, or a, an event. <laughs> well, it really depends uh, where I am, but I tend to talk about my experience in technology. And then uh, whatever is, you know, top of mind or relevant. So I'll, I'll pick uh, either um, the fact that I invest um, or uh, my book. And uh, sometimes I'll pick the fact that I teach. Um, so let's talk about the book. Uh, as you and I were talking before the show here, um, I got, the, got it off of Audible and really enjoyed the specifics. You know, I think there's a lot of people who realize mobile is the future and they they talk a lot, but maybe it's not so based on experience. Um, as far as people who haven't read it yet, um, and we're going to talk more about the subjects in it, but what what is the premise of the book, and and what's what would you say to that? Yeah, it's a book that's written for entrepreneurs, uh, innovators, and really anyone who wants to understand what are the rules behind mobile success, or rather, how do you build successful mobile products. And uh, what I've learned is a couple of things. One is that um, we treat our mobile products like an extension of ourselves. And so when we think of the rules behind the best mobile product, we have to think about how we want to be when we're our best self. And I use the mind-body-spirit framework to describe that. So there's three rules, basically. The body rule, which is that we all want to look good and we expect the same, that our mobile products will be beautiful, but then there's a really deep definition of beauty. 
The second rule is the spirit rule, which is that we all want meaningful lives and we expect the same thing from our mobile products, that they will be very meaningful to us, very personalized uh, and work well um, in our communities. And then the mind rule, which is that we all want to learn and grow and uh, again, that we expect our mobile products to be the same way, to be masterful, to learn and evolve with us. And it's especially important because things on mobile are are changing so quickly. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Um, when you think about that last fact itself, what, you know, I know you speak at conferences and, and obviously a lot of media publications have, have covered you, whether it's Wall Street Journal or NPR or things like this. When it comes to that last one, I know you have a lot of people ask you for advice about a lot of things. What kind of advice do you give about keeping up with the rapid pace of technology? <laughs> uh, that's that's a great question. It's uh, it's not an easy one because if you look at companies that have not been able to keep up, it started with Kodak and then Nokia and then Yahoo, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, it only takes a couple of years for um, companies and and people really to professionals to become obsolete when it comes to mobile. When um, when I was at Nokia five years ago we thought that people holding up their phones as if, you know, taking a picture is a gesture that would not be very socially accepted. And look at, you know, the selfie movement today. (laughs) And then two, three years ago at Facebook, we were concerned that our users would not accept push notifications. And now we have so many push notifications and they're a very, very major communication channel. So it really takes uh, sometimes weeks for behaviors to change. So I I will say that the advice is um, for business professionals, network, um, stay informed a lot and really try to go uh, mobile only. Uh, I got rid of my uh, laptop a couple of years ago and I do everything on my mobile devices because I want to make sure that I I keep up with these um, new technologies. Um, Another advice is... um, it reads science fiction. <laughs> I know it sounds a little bit um, creative or um, not, you know, very uh, pragmatic. But if you're if you're looking to imagine the future, uh, this is the best way to um, transport yourself into a different environment. And then for companies, I would say um, really make your company culture mobile first. And I talk a lot about how you can do that in my book. Uh, it doesn't take more than, you know, I will say a few months, maybe a year to become obsolete on mobile. So you want to con- continuously work on that. That's great. Um, I feel like we've got a little bit of an advantage at, at Ideation Collective because I've got so many college interns and they're, they're constantly <laughs> harassing me. Jess, you don't, you don't have this yet? Come on, we got to do this. We've all got to do this. Um, but uh, I know too, that um, this space, it, it seems like something that you've had a passion about before. Maybe it was cool to have a passion about. Where, where, did, this, where did this come from, your, your focus on mobile? Yeah, it started really a, a long time ago. I, I studied electrical engineering. Uh, my, my grandfather was a big um, influential figure for me. He was a um, scientist, inventor. And um, I wasn't a great engineer, to be honest. I, um, I loved technology as long as it was out of the way. <laughs> and so 
um, I, at the time that I discovered mobile, it was in the early 2000, and people were, you know, sort of struggling on uh, WAP technology, if you remember that, and then SMS mm -hmm. was coming in and out of fashion. And that's when I, I first started to, um, to work in that area. And then um, mobile really took off uh, in the mid-2000 when uh, Apple released the iPhone. And by then I had already uh, launched a number of services on what at the time was the market leader, which is Nokia. Yeah. And I've got to ask, are you an Android person or an iOS user <laughs> yourself? Now um, I have an iPhone, but I switch phone very frequently. Like I mentioned, right? I want to make sure that I stay current. So my current device is an iPhone. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, when you think about uh, all these different experiences, you know, and, and going back, you know, you spent time at a number of, of very influential organizations, whether it's working at Goldman Sachs or Oracle or Electronic Arts, Yahoo, um, and now as a board member at Opera, um, what do you feel like has been an advantage for you to, to have that diversity of organizations you've been a part of? That's a great question. I think that um, it's given me a, a lot of freedom to define what I do and who I am. Um, it's, it's a relatively frequent thing in Silicon Valley to switch company every you know, couple years or so. Uh, a lot less so um, if you have listeners on the on the East Coast or or other places. But first of all, you know it, it's not a unique thing. Uh, second, I think you know it gives a lot of freedom because um, I I never got tied to a specific culture, I'm very adaptable, and can really like um, absorb the culture of a company or any environment really um, quickly and easily. I think that's you know one thing that made me understand mobile so well and so uh, rapidly because one of the core defining features of mobility in general is that it's completely contextual. We have never had devices or even, you know, advertising or really anything that's as contextual as a mobile device. Um, but anyway, so going back to, to me, like, you know, really understanding uh, different cultures and quickly adapting is, I think, one of the key benefits of working in so many environments. Yeah. For someone who maybe feels a little more pigeonholed into what they're doing or they feel like they don't have much freedom because of their experience in the past, uh, what would you recommend as far as something they can do to help gain that diversity or help gain that ability to maybe choose a different future than just where their current trajectory is sending them? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I'll, I'll say a few things. One is um, you, you, you don't want to think like you're pigeonholed. So the first thing is mindset. Um, whether you've worked at a company for a year, two years, or 10 or 15 years, doesn't matter. It doesn't define you. And you want to kind of own up to that and say you're defined by yourself. So the next logical step is now that you're, you understand you're defined by, you know, who you are, uh, who, who are you? <laughs> what is your brand? And so I would suggest really defining your own personal brand, whether it's a career brand or, you know, your own self as a, as a whole. I would recommend spending some time doing that. And the way you're going to do that is by a combination of internal work and then external 
networking. So I've worked with um, coaches and mentors who have helped me identify, you know, what I'm good at, what I'm not so good at, let go what I'm not so good at and focus on what I'm good at. And then I've also worked with um, recruiters who've advised me on, you know, skills that I had that I needed to continue to develop and nurture and, and so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a combination of, you know, work, that internal work and then a, a lot of networking. So I would recommend that you go to a lot of events, that you um, make a point to schedule uh, lunches, to meet new professionals, expand your horizon, and then read books. <laughs> uh, I, I love all that advice. You know, um, I've been do- our, our firm, we teach executive coaching, and I've been an executive coach for about five years. There's actually a couple of the CEOs who are our previous guests or some of my clients. I'm really interested in what criteria you used when you chose coaches for yourself. I, I didn't do a great job at choosing rationally. <laughs> I, I picked somebody that I got along with. And, you know, they had been recommended. They had some certification. So they had, you know, credibility. But really it's somebody I get along with because that work is, is mostly internal. And so you want someone who's going to you know, ha- have a framework to make sure that, you know, they, they, they are pros, but also it's going to get you to open up. So it's sort of like choosing um, you know, a partner for, for a significant project. You're not going to choose or, or hiring someone. You're not going to choose solely on the skills and the criteria. You're going to also choose on the, based on the fit. The personality fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I think about, the mentors who I feel like I, any of the successes I've had have, have mostly been due to mentors who went before me and helped guide me. And uh, it is very much this thing. If you're going to spend hours talking to somebody, p- picking, like having that as a primary thing, like someone that you would enjoy spending those hours with, right? Yes, absolutely. And you know, the interesting part, as uh, you asked me that question, I was reflecting on some of the people I, I've hired to be coaches. Most of them have actually not been local. So my discussions with them were over the phone, which in a way is, um, you know, reflective of how internal that work is. It's not about that, the interaction with the coach. The coach is, is a critical part, um, but but it's an internal work. I'm interested to hear you say that. I um, probably 80%, 80 to 90% of the coaching I've done over the last five years has been over the phone and, and probably the same portion that I've received. Um, and it, it surprises a lot of people. A lot of people think that it can only be done in person. Um, so I'm, I'm interested that you share that same perspective. Um, another, another question I have, we were talking about writing the book and, um, you know, I such a book junkie myself and constantly thinking about books. I think I'd like to write, um, on that front, you mentioned that you come from a family of authors. Um, is this something that you saw growing up? Yes, my my mom wrote um, six books when I was a kid. And then uh, my father owned a bookstore. So I really grew up reading books. And remember, you know, spending the the summers, um, you know, come the the end of the school year, we would go to my my father's bookstore. And my brother and I would each pick 
like a dozen books to read over the summer. And we would go to, you know, family or vacation um, camps and, you know, spend these hour long reading sessions and come back from the summer with, you know, the dozen books like read check marks. So books have already always played a, a big role in my life. Sure. And, um, you know, I'm always asking people about their schedule for writing and, and you shared that with me already. Um, t- tell people about, uh, the approach you took and, and, um, why you chose that, that direction for, for blocking off the time and really getting that progress done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, what I shared with you is I, I wrote my, uh, first manuscript in in six weeks and I made it a complete priority. So I blocked off uh, my entire summer and every morning from like nine to one was for writing my book. And I would you know, turn off the internet, schedule zero meetings, uh, lock myself at home and, and just write. Uh, I also hired a coach for um, a, a, as an editor, like a developmental editor uh, in, in, you know, in addition to my publisher mm. uh, to really help me, um, number one, you know, find the kind of the bigger story, the arc of the book, and also help keep me on, on schedule. And how did you find that specific coach? Through, so my publisher recommended it. Okay. Recommended him, sorry. Um, have you ever, uh, are you familiar with the Stephen Pressfield book, The War of Art? Have you heard of this No, one? I haven't read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fascinating. It it's, the, great. it's the guy who wrote um, the book that turned into the Will Smith movie called The Legend of Bagger Vance. Mm-hmm. And he's written a lot of historical fiction books about the Spartans and Alexander the Great and stuff. But uh, he wrote these books. He's, it's his whole series, Do the Work, Go, Turning Pro, about, um, well, and he talks about people like Stephen, Stephen King who have a schedule very similar to what you just talked about. And the people who are willing to sit in the chair every day rather than just when inspiration strikes. And uh, anyways, very, it sounds like you guys have some similar psychology on the approach. Uh, I, I think, you know, the, the discipline makes a huge difference. And I st- still see it today, um, nine months later, nine months to a year later, where, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing a, an article, I, I write for a number of publications like the Harvard Business Review and things like that. My writing keeps improving. And so the more I write, the better I get. And it really is a matter of discipline and not inspiration. And with HBR, uh, was that something you were invited to or did you pursue it? How did that come about? Uh, That is a networking opportunity that came through. I had friends who had published for the Harvard Business Review and they said that my work would be a great fit for the publication. So they connected me to an editor. Um, I submitted a number of articles. Uh, the first few were rejected, but then I persisted and um, I've, I've had several published now. Sure. Um, as far as, you know, having a book become a bestseller, it's something so many authors uh, dream about. Is there any insights that, that you feel like uh, were things you didn't expect? or things that you learned along the way that you wouldn't have guessed had you not gone through that process? A, a few things, actually. During the, the writing time, um, I, I was very surprised at how much I enjoyed that piece. I thought, you know, if you, if you think of, you know, somebody locked up into a room 
writing every day, it, it doesn't sound that much fun. Um, but, but the research that came along with um, that process was fantastic. Not just like going back to my own experience saying, oh, how did we do it? Like, why did we do the things that we do, that we did? So that internal process of going back and looking at my own experience and then trying to connect it with sort of the, the broader picture, if you want. So I'll give you a couple of examples. I um, One of the chapters in my book is uh, about beauty, right? That body rule I was, mm -hmm. I was sharing with you. And a lot of my questioning was, okay, I, I, I get, I mean, it's obvious that mobile products need to be beautiful um, because when we didn't build beautiful stuff, it didn't work. Is that true for all mobile products? So I interviewed a number of other mobile execs and learned a lot about how they think about product, which educated me about defining the rules of beauty for technology. But then a, a, a lot a huge part of my thesis is that technology has become an extension of ourselves. And so I went and looked at how we define beauty as people, just as human. And I was amazed at how much great discoveries I made. I went back all the way to ancient Greeks, Greeks and Pythagoras and mm. mathematicians like Burkhoff and authors like Leo Tolstoy. And I feel that this was a really rich and challenging piece of research that I did that I never expected I would go through when writing this book. That's great. <laughs> you know, I think we're going to cut this off for part one of the interview. Um, but, but let's have it, you know, encourage everybody tune in tomorrow. We're going to continue talking to SC and we're going to talk about um, her strategy as a venture capitalist and what she invests in and why. And um, her strategies as a public speaker and, and, uh, some of the other insights from working with some of the most impressive companies in the world. We're going to cut off part one of the interview there in the interest of time. We've had feedback that people would rather have 20 to 30 minute episodes, so we're going to break the interviews in half. Please check back tomorrow for part two of the interview. And as always, come to iCollective.co for show notes. And to learn more about child rescue, go to the menu and, and look at our child rescue page and see if that's something that you'd like to get involved with. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.